For those of you who don't know me, I'm Father Kirby Longo. I'm the new guy in town. Uh, so it's a blessing to be with you this evening on this Christmas vigil. I recently listened to a, a fascinating, I don't know if you're feeling familiar with TED Talks. It was on the human brain and kind of all its mystery and complexity. And it spurred me into a, like a, a brain research binge. Uh, kind of wasted a lot of time doing it, but it's fascinating. And it turns out that neuroscience is having incredible breakthroughs uh, in recent years. And I think some of them are worth noting, so I'll just tell you about some of them because I was fascinated. Uh, we have about 86 billion neurons in our brain, which is actually slightly less than the 100 billion that's kind of been touted in recent years, uh, but still stunning. And then it seems with that many neurons, we'd have the largest brains in the world, but that's obviously not true. So like elephants and whales have larger brains than us because they're larger animals. Uh, but what is unique about our brain is its proportion to our bodies. You look at a gorilla, you know, two to three times larger than a human being, but our brains are actually three times larger than gorilla brains. And what else is remarkable is the amount of energy that our brain uses on a daily basis. So even though it's about 2% of our, of our body weight, it uses 25% of our energy. So you eat 2,000 calories, your brain is consuming 20, you know, 500 of those calories. Uh, and all this being said, that's not, uh, none of that is incredibly unique. What's, what's the most unique about us is that uh, our cerebral cortex has 16 billion of the 86 billion uh, neurons that are in our brain. And, uh, and that's why it's such an energy suck, uh, is because the cerebral cortex is what's responsible for all of our kind of higher level activity. You know, our memory, our ability to plan ahead, which other animals don't have, uh, our ability to learn from our mistakes. And uh, so, so how is it that our cerebral cortex is so huge? And, and this was kind of the, what struck me the most is that we cook. It's cooking, that's about it. Uh, so the cooking you know, kind of breaks down food into more digestible calories so it can stuff into our body at a more rapid rate. If we ate raw foods, just raw foods, so the paleo diets, no offense to any paleos here, uh, is, would take us about nine and a half hours out in nature to gather all that food uh, if we wanted to feed our brains. And so that's kind of fascinating. Uh, so, but why am I talking about this at a Christmas homily? It seems a little irrelevant, but I promise it's not. So uh, as I was listening, listening to this podcast, it just struck me. I was stunned by the conclusion that one of these scientists came to, um, so much that I'm going to quote it. So Guy Raz asks this researcher uh, how this changed her outlook on life. And she said, I think it's very humbling. We're animals. We're just another species. It so happens that we were able to pack so much processing power into our cerebral cortex that we're even at this point now looking at ourselves. So according to this neuroscientist, our being, our kind of human uniqueness and dignity, can be boiled down to one of our ancestors discovering cooking. Now, I think that's an interesting theory on humanity. Um, and I, I don't doubt that her findings regarding the brain were true. I even don't doubt that like eating cooked foods was probably you know, benefited the evolutionary process of our brains. It makes perfect sense. But is that the whole story? That's kind of the question. Uh, can the foundation of humanity be cooking? 
and a, and a big cerebral cortex. Now, if that's the case, then we all kind of look stupid sitting here worshiping God. Because uh, if, even if it gives us kind of personal meaning, if what, we, if what we're doing isn't true, if the God that we worship isn't true, then we're wasting our time. And so I think we need to examine this closely. But I think there's other stories that I think we need to listen to that are worth listening to other than kind of neuroscience and its conclusions. And I think we can look to the scriptures tonight to see if they're convincing. Uh, the Old Testament picture, uh, which is from Isaiah, we recognize from Handel's Messiah. Uh, For a child is born to us, a son is given us. Upon his shoulder dominion rests. There, I don't know how many of you remember Fulton Sheen from TV as before my time. I've watched a few of them on YouTube. But... Uh, he gave this like, really cool criterion for religion in general, uh, for, for, a, for a real religion. And I think many of us aren't familiar with it, but it's, it's interesting. The criterion is this, that God will always warn us before he enters into history. Before God makes any move, he would always warn humanity. This is kind of a standard thing in religion. This is where prophecy comes from. This is why prophets existed. They're warning you of what God's about to do. Uh, it's typical in every religion. And so, uh, did God warn us before he was going to do something? Well, uh, Israel actually killed most of its prophets for the warnings that they gave them. But Jeremiah is a great example of this. Uh, he told them they were about to be sent into exile. And so they, they just beat him up and kicked him out. And then they were sent into exile and they're like, all right, well, maybe Jeremiah was right. We're in exile now. Um, and God probably sent us here because of our unfaithfulness. Uh, so God tells us, that's just one example, God tells us before he makes a big move in history. So if Jesus is the Messiah, then God, of course, is going to tell us before the Messiah comes. That's actually the biggest thing in history to happen. Uh, so God would, of course, warn us. And so in our first reading today, we see uh, Isaiah tells us, God comforts, the Lord comforts his people. He redeems Israel. The Lord has bared his holy arm. And early, earlier in Isaiah, we see kind of one of the most famous prophecies that we think of when we think of Jesus. Uh, when he says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, we shall call him Emmanuel. Um, in Jeremiah's own writings, the Lord says himself, he says, I will gather them from the ends of the earth. I will lead them to streams of water, and I will turn their mourning into joy. I will lavish choice portions upon them. So it's really interesting that when I don't think we understood it until after the fact. But the Lord was telling us that in some mysterious way, he himself was going to act in history. That he was going to be the one who saved us. It wasn't just going to be another prophet, another human being. It was going to be God himself. Uh, and so we can, we can say, you know, maybe the Lord did warn us about this. But we could also say, what does this prove? You know, Jesus was indeed born into the world and, Many, all historians can agree that Jesus actually existed as a figure in history. Uh, and perhaps he was the one foretold. Perhaps all those prophecies did refer to him. And perhaps he even did amazing things, performed miracles and healed. Uh, and he certainly taught us kind of a new and profound way to love each other. We can all, I mean, anyone, everyone in the world can agree that Jesus was a good guy. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, though, that we, we can believe all those things, and still look ridiculous gathering here today on this really cold night. Uh, 
In fact, none of those things are even distinctly Christian. For to be Christian is not to agree that Jesus is an important figure in history, that he was a good guy. It's to celebrate on this day the incarnation. To believe that Jesus is God become man. That's what makes us Christian. So here's the real question. Is Jesus who he says he is? What, what, when the shepherds look in that manger at that infant, are they looking at the king of the universe, the prince of peace? So what changed the course of history? What kind of brought us to this moment where we are right now? Was it kind of a, a subhuman ancestor stumbling upon the wreckage you know, in, a, in a forest fire and finding a cooked package of vegetables and thinking they were delicious? Uh, was that the whole story? Is that why we're here? Or, because if our humility is, is based on, you know, having a big cerebral cortex, uh, then we can all leave here pretty satisfied tonight, and there's really no need for us, any of us to return next week. Because if God doesn't exist, then we become the masters of our own universe, and we kind of just decide what's right and wrong, and you definitely don't have to listen to me anymore. Uh, but if the message those angels delivered to the poor shepherd boys uh, is true, if the king of the universe was indeed born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, then we find ourselves in a different universe entirely. Uh, if God humbled himself to becoming a tiny child for our sake, then he did so to later die for our sins, that he might ascend to the Father and bring every last one of us to heaven. That's the universe we live in. And if all this is true, then our, then our lives are no longer our own. So I want to leave it at that. I'll just leave you with this simple question. Was God born into the world 2,000 years ago? Sometimes the simplest questions are the most difficult uh, to answer. But if you answer yes, then what does that change? That changes everything. When I gave a definitive yes to that question, just less than 10 years ago, I guess, uh, God really took hold of my life in a serious way, and it, I'm, now I'm standing before you as a priest. Uh, where will he take you? I know many of you began this journey a long time ago. Uh, but it's always good on Christmas, I think, to begin it anew, to go deeper with the Lord. Uh, I can promise that it's a journey full of joy, an adventure that the world could never hope to match. Uh, so Merry Christmas, and tonight with all the angels, we praise God saying, Glory to God in the highest.